Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. I'm Michael Zalavari, and joining me tonight, I have a good friend from America, Austin Zetsman. Good morning, Austin. Bright and early morning for you today. Yeah, good happy morning there, Mike. How's it going? It is pretty swell. It's late on a Monday night, a public holiday, and I've got work tomorrow after my holidays, so oh. I'm <laughs> straight up Let's not see, looking you know forward what? to it. No, that's, yeah, yeah, but hey, it's an extra, extra day off, so that's how you gotta look at it. This is so. true, this is true. No, it's been, it's been good, it's been good. How has it been over in the America lands? This is just uh, our little catch-up, by the way, I don't know why you guys are listening to us. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's good, uh, family's doing well, um, you know, Bobby's getting older, no, I don't know why we're the family thing. Um, no, it's, it's, it's getting warmer, so definitely in Florida we can, uh, we can feel the warmth as oh. essentially we don't go outside for the next four months. So, I'm so jelly. Turn the AC on and watching lots of sports car racing and on the weekends. And lots of sports car racing, right? We've already had the first round of the ELMS last week, which we'll talk about in depth today. Also, while we're starting this, literally the second session of the WEC Prologue is happening right now. So we'll talk a bit about this weekend's race at Spa-Francorchamps, what's happening in the Prologue while we're talking about it. Uh, but yeah, there's plenty going on at the moment. It's it's great. Sports car racing is back. Oh, I'm so excited. Hug me. Hug me, please. I, I'm trying, but there's just <laughs> quite literally the entire diameter of the earth between us. Yeah, that, that's true. Yeah, it's easier to go through the center. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we had Barcelona happening, and uh, yeah, now we got this prologue thing going on here at Spa for WC, so, and that's happening in a week as well. Yeah, it's it's all happening down here at the, the no, I'm not going to say that, I'm not going to say that. What I will say, though, before we crack into it is uh, thank you very much to our sponsor, the theracingline.app, your motorsport calendar. Uh, they will keep you abreast of all the time changes that have been happening because daylight savings is happening around the world, and I hate it, and I hate it so much. But with the racing lineup, it's made it easier. So thank you to them, and thank you for sponsoring us. And let's crack into it. ELMS, right? It was last weekend at Barcelona. How did you think it went? Uh, I thought it went as good as a large field of ELMS cars could possibly go. Um, I know there's this looming cloud of, uh, of um, let's just say, equalization, BOP, that kind of stuff to get in line with... Um, the WC and the LMH uh, addition to the WC uh, calendar, calendar, or just grid. Um, and so that, that ripple effect will eventually hit ELMS. And I know that beforehand, um, at least post the uh, Barcelona ELMS race weekend, that uh, there's been some changes to that. Already, um, yeah. Yeah, but um, that, we did not, we weren't supposed to see those changes anyway um, at ELMS. So it felt pretty dang standard of an affair of a race even though i think that it was a pretty dang good race yeah um I th- all, all the classes seem to um have their moments in the sunshine uh as it were throughout the four hours and uh i actually don't mind barcelona as an endurance track i really don't yeah. like it as a sprint track for like formula one and stuff but uh this one proved to be pretty good and i liked kind of the different kind of configuration because i think they use more of the moto gp uh uh, circuit kind of thing in the back of the course yeah they they um, completely not- changed i think it's turn 11 so now it's not yes. an awful like more than 90 degree left-hander it's like a nice mm-hmm. sweeping open left-hander which is great mm-hmm. yep mm. and so yeah there's a lot of different kind of cool things that i i i enjoy just from not having that actually they did use this chicane what am i talking about yeah, they didn't use um, the, the final chicane. Yeah, I think Mitchell and Mock Cup didn't use it. I, there was one of them that did not actually use the chicane that I was watching that weekend. And I was like, "Wow, I'm kind of impressed they didn't do that." But 
Um, anyway, specifically with the LMS, um, I thought the LP2 uh, battle was was very awesome. I mean, I could we have seen more battles? Sure, but yeah. at the same time, I mean, um, you know, you had strategy that worked into it as well. Um, but then you also saw challenges to some of the uh, main EMS stalwarts in like G Drive and United Auto Sports. Yeah. So that was good too. I, it was kind of refreshing to see a little bit more um, battles with it, but kind of not to be expected, not to be unexpected with WRT uh, yeah. stepping up. So oh, I guess I guess we'll start there. The status quo in ELMS in the LMP2 category has been shaken to its core uh, because it turns out we're actually not too bad at this prediction thing. Both Ollie and I said WRT were going to be the guys to be, and they, they won. They, it was great. We, we're good at this now. Uh, they really kind of took everything away from the rest of the field. The fact that you've got your uh, your AM driver is FAA, who's... Basically, uh, what he's being he's being managed by Patrick Pillay, so he's a future professional, definitely. And he just throughout the middle of the race just run rings around the field. And by the time they put Kubica in in to finish the race, they had effectively a forty second lead, and Kubica just managed that to the end. And they were untouchable. Delatraz did a great stint at the start, by the way, to actually take the lead. And uh, Cookie, is this a sign of things to come? Is this the new the new normal in LMP two? It could definitely be if they continue having trouble-free races and Kubica can continue to perform at, I would still, I would say a high level, uh, especially, uh, specifically because I don't know if he's raced LMP2 before or he's had much running of it and to be at the sharp end of the field and to take over what is, you know, what was a pretty big uh, lead uh, from the other two drivers uh, and kind of cruise at home was a big step for him, I think, if anything. Um, I don't know if this fully continues, but I would say that they have a good shot to win the championship easily. I mean, I think even before this first round, we would have said, yeah, they're, they're definitely championship contenders for this year. Um, and this, you know, the first uh, round definitely proved that. So interesting to see the podium too, with Panis racing in second and the United Auto Sports as well. So you kind of do have that juxtaposition with the first and third being these dominating or at least predictable teams. And then you have Panis racing sneaking in there. Um, I, with arguably a good lineup themselves. But, I just want to say uh, that I absolutely called that, and I said that they'd be on the podium, and I was right, and I am not letting anyone tell me otherwise. <laughs> okay. Well, yep. <laughs> beat that drum. Beat I, that I, drum absolutely. I gotta, gotta, you gotta, you gotta be your own biggest fan, Cookie. Someone has to. So, can I ask you, yep. um, there was four cars technically on the leading lap of mm-hmm. the, of the, uh, 41 team at WRT. Um, did you see that happening? Because it definitely, the field spread themselves out quite a bit in terms of the LMP2 field. They uh, definitely had a lot of laps between cars. And then also the Ligiers. Oh, sorry. No, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, they were Ligiers? I was like, I was like yeah, that, that's what I was saying. I was like, oh man, there's uh, Ligiers at the bottom. I'm like, wait a sec. Hold on a sec. Hold <laughs> on. I'm looking at this wrong because they have it labeled slightly weird. So, yeah. Yeah. But the uh, Areca field continues. Yes. So let's look at those four cars on the lead lap because you made mention of them. WRT, we've talked about. Panas Racing, in, an incredible run from them. I'm going to say uh, I, I, I was impressed and but not surprised, which is a good sign. And then United yeah. Autosports and G-Drive. Now, let's talk about G-Drive first. The number 26 car, they had, what was it? A, a spin at early on in the race. 
so hang on. So first, uh, firstly, there was an investigation into their starting procedure because they were saying that Rusnov went too slow. Then he got passed. Then he had a spin. Then Colapinto had a spin. Then he got pinged for a pit lane infringement. Then they hit the team car's wheel in the pit lane. No, no, no. the team car hit their wheel in the pit lane. So the team got pinged again. And then Colapinto got punished for Rusinov's start infringement. And then Colapinto had another spin. And yet they still finished in fourth position. I, I think that they've had the worst race I've seen from a contender while still managing to end up in the top five. Yeah, it uh, it was almost like what could go wrong uh, did go wrong. And kind of shades a little bit of their start to Asian Mon series, if I remember yeah. correctly. With, yeah, with the car that had the oil leak the entire race. Yeah, yeah, where they just, they had, they were, like, getting all of their bad karma out early, which, I mean, I feel like they got a lot more karma yeah. to get out. But at the same time, yeah, to, to finish still on the lead lap with all that stuff and still technically take fourth is not a, that's a pretty impressive result, even though it's not podium for them. Yeah, well, I, I was just, I'll just put the question to you. Can you ever remember a worse outing from a a, a favorite for the for the race, for the category? In in any motorsports, when was the last time a favorite for the race had that bad a run? Uh, would we want to have classified Roman Rusinov's like hour three or hour four <laughs> at Lamar the GTM at Lamar? Oh, somehow when I asked that question, that's immediately where my mind went, and you just read my mind. <laughs> yeah, that could that could be it. Yeah, yeah Dude, I, my, my mind immediately goes to G Drive. Like, what have they done in the past? <laughs> what can yeah. I slap on that now? But yeah, I would say that. I would say that. Uh, we've got yeah, Ollie, yeah, Ollie yeah. saying in the chat, Toyota 2016. No, they ran no, the perfect no. Lamar and it all fell apart in one fell swoop. That's not what I mean Grown. here. I, <laughs> I mean, when has a team had just, ev- pardon me, everything go wrong? uh in in a race because I, I can't i like besides that g drive that one instance where they threw it away super duper early or rusinov threw it away super duper early uh i can't remember a team a, a championship leading team I, i'm thinking back like the elms finale in 2015 or 16 where all of the championship leaders just fell apart i think it was Tyrie by tds and joda sport mm-hmm. and yeah, dragon speed all had problems in the last race yeah, that might be it too. Where yeah, there's a yeah, but that was just multiple cars. This one, they felt like all the all those cars back then combined into one car. That was this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it felt a bit like that. Uh, still came away with a fourth, which is you know pretty incredible. And like, uh, I I look at that lineup still: Rusinov, uh, Colapinto, and DeVries, and I I'm still scared of it. So, uh, hold me, please. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, yeah. Um, yes, I, there there needs there need there needs to be some handholding at least uh, with some of these teams. Uh, uh, what about what about United? They came third with the Hanson Aberdeen Tom Gamble car, the twenty two car. Now I I've got to say I was really impressed by Gamble specifically that move that he ran like around the outside of turn eleven with the. With the G Drive car, I think it was that was some cool stuff. So he they they found something pretty cool in Gamble, but United kind of threw it away in the first corner, didn't they? <laughs> With yeah, the other car, um, yeah. I mean, they and then at the same time they had they slowed up the twenty. You know, Rusinov, I think slowed the entire field up. Yeah, uh, when you know before before going to green, which 
you know, you you could do that on a on a on a Formula One restart, bud. But uh, this is a little tough to do, and it's like heading to the green. Like, uh, uh, yeah, the twenty six did not help themselves out in terms of uh, the championship or hearts and minds of the people here yeah. on the first round. That's for sure. Uh, but yeah, oh man, I, the contact too was not. You know, you don't do that with uh, teammate cars. Maybe, you know, you're not supposed to do it at all in endurance <laughs> racing. That's like the last thing you do. But apparently if you're an IMSA, that's what you do. Oh, um, yeah, obviously. Yeah, Corvette fans still bent up about BMW. But, I mean, uh, Porsche no. fans also bent up about BMW as well. Yeah, there's a lot of BMW hate going around, and I, it's kind of warranted. So and It's entirely <laughs> deserved, yeah. yeah a- anyway, absolutely. United. <laughs> yes, United. Um, Yeah, I there was just, I feel like, they were they bore the brunt of some, just some kind of that's the way it goes kind of luck sometimes with the racetrack today. Yeah, um, but at the same time, that's a that's a really good lineup and they can overcome it. It's just I feel like Panis drove as good as I, I I think some people were expecting them to, even though that lineup is great and Team WR2 just had, I think had a as perfect of a opening round as you possibly can in terms of their four hour race. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, they, they struggled a bit, uh, the 22, but I don't know. I think it was all right for them. Yeah, well, I mean... It's a good a good start for the podium. Yeah, uh, exactly. And remember, you know, this is Phil Hansen's first race as a gold driver. He's got uh, with him Tom Gamble, who's stepping up from the uh, LMP3 field, and Aberdeen, who I'm still not f- super familiar with. So that's a, that's a pretty fresh face looking car in the 22. I was just very, very disappointed for uh, Nicolo Jamin in the, the other car, the the fact that on the first corner of the race you've made a mistake and gone down a lap or two you just spend the rest of the race chasing a towel and that's exactly what they did they only just managed to scrape into the top 10 at the end of it and it was a unassuming you know start for that car and we were saying ollie and i were saying that that car would be one of the top five quite easily so yeah 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 and then i think they lost another lap at some point too uh either with a you know they have a longer pit stop or something. I'm not sure, but they, they ended up going. Yeah, they their final was two laps down. Yeah, and yeah, that was that was a really. I mean, it, I want I don't want to say it was a clumsy error, but it was definitely like the first lap tires are cold and making that error specifically in turn two, where it's like you don't have any way to escape it, and then beaching it really is, you know, it's a, it's unfortunate for them. Um, but hey, that's the way it goes, especially and you and it and just proves the point that you have to. Um, even in these four-hour races, like you can't make those kind of mistakes for your ending up a lap down that early. Cause it's just not recoverable. Mm. And you know, um, maybe it, maybe with a uh, add twenty hours to it with one of those kind of races, you've got an option to make that up. But I think this really proves that it's even four hours is really almost considered a sprint format. You know, and uh, you've got to hit your marks whether that is the second turn of the first lap or the mm. second turn of last lap kind of deal so absolutely and and to go on from your point that you know maybe in tw- with another 20 hours added on you could make that up i honestly don't think you can not with the way that the lmp2 class is now it is just that competitive and that professional for a pro-am class it is incredibly professional and if you even if you look to say Le Mans last year where you had Alpine and Racing Team Netherlands and United Autosports their second car suffering problems you know the the Alpine and the uh the Racing Team Netherlands cars suffered problems on the first lap effectively on the first five minutes uh and they were not in the hunt throughout the entire race like I think the Alpine ended up finishing sixth or seventh or fifth or something. So 
there is there is no room for error anymore in LMP2. It it feels like a GT World Challenge grid at the moment. Well, right, yeah, and that's kind of what I was thinking as yeah. well, especially uh, and, the amount of entrance that they had. Yeah, and and sorry to just jump in over the top of you, uh, and to me, it's surprising that a team like United, with their skills and resources and drivers, made that sort of mistake. I know it was a driver on their first lap, but like, you know, this isn't Janetta we're talking about here, where they've got everyone's flying by the seat of the pants, including their brand new young professional. Like, this is, this is meant to be the best of LMP2. Certainly, it's been the best of LMP2 for the last two seasons. Yes, and really, yeah, and, and then they've kind of set their own standard with that, and and that's why it's it's a little bit odd to see them in that position where, um, you know, we we've kind of seen other teams make these kind of mistakes and then be punished for it by United Autosports basically mm. having these kind of days, um, or having their own kind of days where they're you know essentially almost locking up the podium, and really we have that initial error. On the first round of the first lap of the uh, of the new season is uh, yeah, it's very un United Autosports like. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, another team who had a very un team like performance was Dragon Speed, uh, who survived a grand total of what four laps, five laps before retiring. Uh, very unassumedly, seven laps they ended up getting. Uh, I think Hedman got spun on the first lap at the chicane and ended up. I think beaching the car on the curb or getting stuck on the curb somewhat. So that was the reason for the early safety car. And then after getting back out on track two or three laps later, made contact with an LMP3 car, found his way into the gravel at turn six or seven uh, and retired the car after seven laps. So uh, a big, big bad time for, for Dragon Speed. Uh, certainly not the way that they yeah. would have liked to start their season either. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. Dragon Speed definitely would want a rewrite of the last, uh, yeah, just from twenty twenty one so far. Um, burned out clutch, I think, too. Yes, with what they eventually retired with, but and still, that, yeah, it's uh, not fun. Yeah, and that was confirmed by one of the team members in our Discord server. So thank you for for that information. <laughs> We're getting all the hot scoops now. Look at us. We're like a yeah, real yeah. a real group. <laughs> Well, almost real group, you know. This is Try. it was almost like remember remember I think it was at the end of last year where the Reddit Formula One Twitter page broke some news, which was ridiculous. Something about oh, yeah, a, yeah. a team, like a, a driver leaving a team or something. And yeah, it was like, yeah. And it was uh, yeah, it was like an exclusive like thing. Like there, there was no other top. I, I don't know if it was a rumor. Did people like? Call him out for saying it was a rumor or something, or did they make it like specifically official that they were doing it? Yeah, no, they were like, "This we are officially announcing this." Oh, some Twilight Zone stuff. That's what it feels like for us at the moment. Hey, we just stand back and watch. That's all. Oh yeah, absolutely. Give give me the info. Give me the info. (laughs) Bit of a bit of a rough run for uh, was it Ricky Taylor who had come all the way from the US and not managed to turn a lap in anger in that car before it was retired. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, Gustavo Menezes has a little bit more luck for that car's next round. Yeah, that's a one-off for uh, Ricky, I think, right, so far? Yeah, they're, they're basically... It's the sort of the star in the car sort of deal. So uh, each, yep. the idea is each time the Dragon Speed car goes out, it'll have a, a different American third driver, I think. Hey, yeah. Uh, and, hey, you know, uh, Menezes is pretty dang quick as well. So oh, yeah. they should hopefully have a solid anchor if they could ever get to it. Mm, absolutely. Let's have a look at some of the other notable performances through the field. And the first one I want to sort of arrow in on is Ultimate. We uh, 
Ollie and I, when we did our preview, kind of gave them no chance, but they came away not only uh, fifth place overall, but the Pro-Am winners. That was a, sh- a shot out of the dark, wasn't it? I, did you have any expectations of, of Ultimate being that far up the grid? No, not <laughs> at all. Not at all. I mean, even, I mean, just, just looking at some of them, Pro-Ams didn't, you know, I, and really, we shouldn't always think about it like this, but, you know, the Pro-Ams should in theory, be most of the way down the field uh, when it comes to the LMP2 field. And we had a couple Pro-Ams that were sneaking, you know, we're a little sneaky into the top 10. Um, three Pro-Ams in the top 10 for overall uh, um, overall standings that are LMP2, as we'll just keep saying. Yeah. Um, so that was actually a better result than I thought was going to happen for just the field of Pro-Ams. Um, so, but yeah, I was definitely surprised with the, with the pace of the 29 and how good it was actually competing against in... Basically, I think it was, yeah, P5, it was the first car one lap down. So, I mean, it wasn't like they were, you know, they were not on the WRT pace, but they were absolutely doing, you know, they weren't running into mistakes and fouling up and that and whatnot. So, a great opening round for them, absolutely. Yeah, and not only did they finish fifth, but they finished in in front of some pretty commendable teams. So, you know, the team immediately behind them was the Decane engineering team of Gomendy, uh, Binder, and Rojas. Sure, remember, that car has uh, won a race in LMP2 at, in the ELMS before getting that stripped away from them in the Red Bull ring. That made me really, really sad. But also, like, the second G-Drive racing car they finished ahead of, IDEX Sport, 2019 Series Champions they finished ahead of, uh, the other United Autosports car, sure, they had a mistake, whatever, whatever. Uh, cool Racing, Nicola, Nicola cool Lapierre, yep. they, that's, that was the car that we were really pulling for as the, the best uh, Pro-Am car, and they just smashed them. It was, uh, they had an, an entire lap on Cool Racing. Yep, yeah, and that, and that, yeah, and that was the other point I was going to make too, is just like, because they finished so high in the uh, LMP2 field just overall, they had to beat a lot of different LMP2 um, cars that were not Pro-Am. And that was really the surprising thing, too. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, yeah. Uh, Alex is making the point in the chat, Alex21, thank you for joining us in the live chat, that they won a lot of LMP3 races, which is absolutely true. The Ultimate Team have been one of the forces in the LMP3 category, not last season, but the season prior. So their silvers are actually quite good, but their silvers are not on the scale of Maimo Rojas, uh, Rui Andrade, Paul, uh, Patrick Pile, for example, Job Van Oetert. They're, they're, that's The fact that they've managed to find their way into that position is an absolutely commendable debut in the LMP2 class for them. So I hope they kick on. I hope they kick on and do some cool stuff because that that was a, that was a surprise to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think so too. If we if I would have been able to pick something, it would either been between G Drive or Cool Racing for Pro Am. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they they managed to prove a lot of people wrong. I think I don't think a lot of people were expecting them to take the top spec as top step for LMPG Pro Am. Yep. And and just to drive that point home as well, Cookie, those were the next two Pro Am cars finishing seventh and tenth overall: the G Drive twenty five car and the Cool Racing number thirty seven car. What about the rest of the LMP2 field? Any any other results particularly striking for you? Anything that jumps out at all? I mean, you mentioned Duquesne. Um, I, I expected a little bit more from them. Uh, I think they had an issue, if I'm not mistaken. I can't Ooh. remember specifically at the top of my head. And, uh, number six or 30 uh, Duquesne team. I mean, yes, technically that lineup isn't like, that doesn't just bam pop out to me, but 
Um, they've proven themselves to be mighty quick with that chassis, um, being an LMP3 manufacturer and all. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I expected them to be a little bit higher up, even though sixth place isn't bad. So that was really the only other standout thing that I had. Uh, otherwise, yeah, this was a pretty, pretty solid LMP2 race, and it had a decent amount of talking points for kind of how how much Team WRT want the field. They they want the field. They were uh, yeah at one point forty seconds ahead of the field. Uh, a, a question for you, Cookie. When was the last time a LMP2 team won on debut? Hmm. Can, can you think, like, anything that pops off at the top of your head? Uh, I, I, I know Duquesne did really well, but I don't think they won on their opening. No. Uh, I'll pose that one to the group. The only the only thing that I can think of, and we do have an answer in the live chat, Ollie. Well done. Uh, last year, uh, 2019, I believe, the Racing Engineering Group, uh, anchored by Norman Nato, won the first round. Uh, I believe that was at that was that would have been at Monza, wouldn't it? Oh, Paul Ricard. Yep, there you go. Awesome. Other acceptable answers would have been SMP, but they technically weren't a de- debut in the LMP2. It was the debut of the LMP2 Delara in for them. Yep. Um, and I would have also accepted uh, Cool Racing in the WEC. They won their debut race. <laughs> Admittedly, because their bronze was injured, but they still won it. There you go. Nice little challenge for everyone. Uh, LMP3. Uh, we'll talk about LMP3 next. Uh, I... LMP3, again, I say this every single time, flew under the radar for me because it's just so hard to track where the pit stops are. Uh, but I was pretty impressed by Lawrence Hoare in the DKR engineering car, even though the the other driver in that car had nowhere near the same capabilities as Lawrence Hoare did. So, uh, yeah, I reckon Lawrence Hoare will get my driver of the race. In the end, the DKR engineering car finished, I think that's third or fourth in class. Um, but really, it was a, a cool racing show. Again, uh, they just—they uh, didn't have all their own way at the end, but it looked pretty comfortable. Yeah, and I, I think they're well. I, cool racing is—I uh, don't think they've won an LMP3 before. This would be their first win, correct? I think so. In ELMS, I'm fairly sure they've had success in MLMC before. Yeah, yeah. This would be EOMS first round one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, stellar effort from them, uh, specifically. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I've been really enjoying the LMP3 category. Um, just from an aspect of that, there's, you never, unless you're paying super hard attention to who's driving, um, you don't really know kind of even sometimes when they're getting overtake uh where how it's gonna go um when shake out a little bit with that and i i don't know i'm a a fan of the new cars and it clearly seems like the legia is probably going to be this the gold standard again when it comes to the new lmp3 spec but yeah Yeah. i've uh lmp3 has settled very quickly into elms as being part of the package of why elms is so so good and um and yeah, it, it still can prove to have some spectacular incidents as well. Um, thinking about the Mitchell and Palace for, uh, Palace for, Oh man! Oh no! <laughs> oh man! Wow! Um, this is how you know it's properly early in the morning for Cookie. Man, I messed that one up. 
But yeah, the support series race earlier um, yeah. earlier the weekend too had some pretty spectacular accidents. So yeah, I feel like that class really gave us a whole a whole breadth of its uh, capabilities there. So it is but it yeah. is really the modern prototype challenge in the best way possible in the LMS, not so much in the Michelin Le Mans Cup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So something that really struck me as interesting watching the LMP3 race was that the gaps fluctuated massively. So as I made mention, Lawrence Hoare, he pulled himself out to a 20, 30 second gap in the first part of the race. In the Duquesne, by the way. So that shows that the Duquesne has some serious pace behind it. And we saw him do a similar thing in the Asian Le Mans series as well, earlier in the season, early in the year rather. Um, But because of the, the two... Man- mandated minimum pit stop times, not three like we saw in the Asian Le Mans series, which means that each team has basically a joker pit stop, which they can take, which really throws the cat amongst the pig- pigeons. And the the bronze driver that he's driving with could do with another f- few years of experience. That car dropped away at the end. On the other hand, it was the cool racing car who had the gap in the middle part of the race, and then that gap came down massively. In the, in the end, the gap for the win was only two seconds uh, in LMP3. Yeah, and, and, and that's to me what makes it a little hard to track. That Joker pit stop in com- in combination with the widespread of driver talent makes those battles are really hard to keep on top of. I forgot about that second pit stop, which that would definitely make it so that you have to, uh, you know, you you could be punished if you're not doing that correctly. And yeah, the I, for, I and again I totally forgot about the DKR um, where they were only doing a two squad, uh, two man squad kind of race, and yeah, they they were leading early and then had a pace fall off by one of them. So, yeah, definitely with those two, I think, factors, that was definitely something that I wasn't even paying attention to early on. I was looking a lot at LMP2 and then at the GTE field. But, um, yeah, I I might have to take that back. But, hey, the Liches are just pumping them out, though. Yeah. Only one Duquesne there. And and Ollie and I, uh, Ollie has gone into why that's the case plenty of times in the podcast, so we won't rehash it. The TLDR is Duquesne... Uh, buying Norma didn't get any of Norma's intelligence, so they're basically running it blind, which is fine, And but it's good to see that there is actually pace in that Duquesne. Uh, Lawrence Hoare, in fact, had the fastest lap of the race as well, uh, so there is pace in that machine. They just got to find uh, some drivers to extract it more consistently. Uh, the other race results in the LMP3 category, Cool Racing won, great job by Matt Bell to hold off um, Malta Jacobson in the RLR-M Sport machine, for uh, the last part of the race, they finished second. Into Europol, uh, the old school, well, the old school, uh, the old uh, empire of LMP3 finished third uh, with Martin Hipper and his co-drivers, who I cannot remember the name of at the moment, um, De Wilde and Falucero, it seems to be. Uh, AM1 Velour Bacorsa finished fourth, um, which is a pretty pretty good result. We were singing their praises from the Asian Le Mans series, so good to see them up in fourth. Dekar Engineering dropped down to fifth, then it was, uh, yeah, uh, I'm surprised to see Nielsen Racing and Team Virage so far down, actually. Um, specifically, the Anthony Wells and Colin Noble team, I'm not sure if they ran into problems or something, but they finished behind the leading GTE car, which is a bit of a surprise. Yeah, sufferance was some uh, just a little bit of pace. They were one lap down, I think, too. So, yeah, or two laps, two laps down. I'm sorry, but yeah, and then the uh, yeah the three as well. I mean, that lineup was a little bit to be considered as well, but uh, still to see them struggle a little bit down there with the LP3 field was a little bit of a surprise as well. And again, yeah, some of these are finishing behind uh, the class winning uh, GTE car 
Mm. So that was a little bit interesting as well to see that. Uh, usually there's some pace separation between them, but what? Hey, I mean, that might just also prove how good Iron Lynx was. Well, I mean, I I'm gonna uphold. I'm gonna say this now, and I'm gonna fight fight for this the entire time we talk about the GTE class in the European Le Mans series. GT Pro factory drivers in the GT class in ELMS is just a cheat code. Like that's that's not that's not fair. Miguel Molina in that car is just not fair. There shouldn't be a GTE car that is lapping the field, regardless of how long an ELMS race is. In the ELMS race, that shouldn't happen. <laughs> I mean, it, it was a true full lap. It was a that, full lap. Uh, yeah, that the 488 had over the uh, rest of the Ferrari 8s and Porsches. Yeah, that was a, um, I mean, it was a, you know, stand up and applause kind of deal. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Um, <laughs> and it's, I wonder if that is a trickle down effect to the rest of the, <laughs> to the grid. All of a sudden you start seeing uh, WC Pro drivers start stepping to these, uh, well, uh, a lot more of these GTE cars. But <laughs> yeah, I I was completely surprised at the pace of, of the of that eighty car, and then to see it, yeah, with that class separation too, it had it had some LMP3s in between it and the next and the next GTE car was uh, astounding. Also, though, giving them their first win in uh, LMS as well. So you know, I think so. Yeah. Team. Well, picking, I mean, uh, when you go from who was driving in that car before, so that's an Iron oh, Lynx car. It used to be the number 60 car. So when you go from Paolo Roberti, no. who's, you know, all right, to friggin' Miguel Molina, platinum-rated GTE Pro AF course, a factory driver. That's, that's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're stepping it up. You're stepping <laughs> just, a, just a lot. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, a minimal upgrade. <laughs> yeah, so so that happened. That's how the GTE race basically went. And that's that's how it basically went. That was the story, really. Uh, Iron Lynx, the number 80 car, just... You know, Matteo Cressoni, Reno Mastronati, and Miguel Molina just uh, quite literally a lap plus, what is that, 20 seconds on the next car? It, it was ludicrous. But the battle for the miners was pretty enthralling. And there was at one point on track where there was, what, second down to sixth in its own train at, at one stage with about an hour left. And it was pretty, pretty cool stuff. Uh, yeah, that was my highlight of the GTA race. Yeah, and the uh, at the end too with uh, Proton competition trying to <clears throat> fend off Spirit of Race too. Uh, that was a really close one, kind of just coming down for the second step of the podium. Um, it spaced itself out a little bit at the end, but yeah, I I was loving GTE for most of the race too. It was it was fun, and especially that train because <laughs> it it just seems like somebody's eventually going to get the pass uh, completed. And as I kept backing more of them up, it was just kind of like, all right, something's <laughs> going to give here, something's going to give. So I think it might have been a pit stop or something like that split them up, but. Um, yeah, I, hey, I, it was a great GTE, uh, race and, you know, I'm going to take the opportunity now to just enjoy as much GTE racing as I can. Cause I, we don't know the potential future of it, even though I think it'll, we'll still have GTE for a few more years at least, but we'll see. Um, so when I, when we, when I see a, 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 at least an interesting GTE race, especially with how Iron Lynx was just slapping the field, silly, um, Hot. I'm going to try to enjoy it. So, uh. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And and I think the difference in tire strategy in the middle there really backed things up. I think Jimmy Bruni at one stage was getting overtaken by the the Iron Dames, which, I mean, all respect to the Iron Dames, 
none of the drivers in that car should be able to pass Jimmy Bruni. <laughs> And like I, I say that with full respect, it's just that 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 was the way that the tire strategy had gone at that point. So it was it was pretty interesting. Uh, in the end, it was the number seventy seven Proton car of Christian Reed, Jackson Evans, and Jimmy Bruni finishing in second ahead of the Spirit of Race car, as you mentioned. Uh, Dane Cameron, Matt Griffin, and David Perel in that car. No, Aaron uh, Adam Scott, uh, who normally would be in that car. Um, I Dane's finishing oh, yeah. fourth, which is pretty cool. And then uh, also, I forgot to have my notes here. Michael Fassbender spun in that Proton Porsche. Yes. As well, the little uh, little um, uh, initiation of fire, however you want to say it, baptism of fire. That's it. Yes. That's the word. It's been well. Uh, it's been a year long baptism of fire. I think he's had a bit yeah. en- enough of enough of being in the fire at the moment. How <clears throat> how, how did we rate Fassbender's uh, run? Was it an improvement on what we saw last year? I, yeah, I mean, just with more time in the car improvement, but I mean, I, I, I've yet to really see him stand out yet. Yeah. And I think he's got it. I think he definitely has it in him. And I, I, from watching all those weird short documentaries, I don't know. It's it's tough to tell because they're definitely just trying to milk it up a bit, but he seems like a character who should be able to figure it out, um, you know, and at least be able to not have those noteworthy <laughs> things on track Mistakes, that are yeah. not necessarily positive, <laughs> but no, um, I, I think yeah. Between this year and last year, there the pace hasn't improved, and you know I was going to say consistency has improved outside of the you know the obvious spin, but um, it's it's a it's a it's gonna it's a learning curve. It's going to take some time too for him to get used to it, because uh, ultimately yeah he's gonna he's gonna show up at Le Mans, and there you you know you have again some time to make that up, but you really can't be having contact and spinning. Um, at any time to really uh, to really want a good result, which is yeah. what he's wanting. Absolutely, I think I think probably another year or so, and he'll. I think the pace will be there for him. Cool. I, fingers crossed. I, I'd like to see. I'd like to see that happen because more eyes on this sport is always a good thing. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't really a notable race, which is actually kind of a good thing. Besides that one spin, but you know, everyone can have a spin. Nicolas Germain had a spin at the first corner, so <laughs> that's true. That yeah. is true. Uh. Last little note I wanted to touch on, the Association SRT41 car, they got to the finish. They ended up finishing a lap down on most of the GT or the GTE field runners, but that that's that's an encouraging sign on their journey towards Le Mans as well for the innovative car. Very good for them to get to the end of the race. I actually did like their livery on this one. Yeah. And if you uh, spied it a bit, they even had like the handicap with the race car helmet. They had the handicap symbol like right yes. under the P2. That was super great. I really... I really like that, and honestly, yeah, I don't, I don't think they bailed on Lamar a couple of years ago doing this. They were, they were um, going to do it last year, but they decided that without the proper lead up and without everything, well, and with everything that was going on, that they'd rather take another year and do it in a bit more controlled manner, which is, which is good. You know, they, they, they made that decision on the basis of being a team with vulnerable team members, which is, mm-hmm. yeah, entirely what the point is. <laughs> No, I, I thought it was really good, um, you know, and then for them to have kind of like a uh, an issue-free race, as it were, um, was was exactly what they needed, and this gets them just track experience, and obviously for pit stops, um, where there's a lot more going on with that than, um, you know, with any other team, really, you know, and how complicated that has to be just so that they're not taking five minutes, um, you know, and they're cutting yeah. down literally minutes off of how quickly you can literally do driver changes. I thought that was great. 
Um, and I wish we had more stuff like that uh, in the ELMS or Asian Mall Series and, every, and WC even too, yeah. um, where you're kind of going, this is, we have racing, but then we also have the ability for us to kind of like exercise just kind of good human spirit, human story races, that kind of thing. Um, and to see, and like I said, just to see them not have a lot of issues uh, was, I, I thought was a great step moving forward for them. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll hopefully see them. Are they going to another ELMS round? Yes, they will do the next round of the ELMS, which will be, uh, I don't know off the top of my head. I think it might be Red Bull Ring. But they're basically doing all the pre-Le Mans ELMS races, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And their team photo was super cool, too, because they had all of them kind of in front of the car. Yeah. Like, in the wheelchairs and stuff. That was I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah, it was really, really, really nicely and tastefully done. Uh mm-hmm. Driver of the race for you, Cookie. Who do you reckon it was the best drive of the race in your eyes? I mean, Laurent Hoare in the DKR Engineering. That you had to make a mention to him. Um, I mean, you know, fan favorite Kubica. Yeah, you know, not not Giga not Cube. The the the, the, yeah. the person responsible for quite literally ninety eight percent of the YouTube live chat, Robert Kubica. Yes, yes that yeah. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's just like he's a fan of everybody's uh he's he's won the Hearts and Minds contest. Um, <laughs> I think I think yeah. the Polish have taken over, that's what's happened. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, obviously shout out to uh uh the Iron Legs car and just the pace that uh that one of their WCGT pro drivers. Uh <laughs> I was even I wanna mention him just to like give more of them credit for that strategy, but um, Deltraz was fantastic, I think, and especially too with Team WRT. You know, yes, they are essentially I would consider them a professional. Oh, absolutely. Um, pseudo kind of almost factory esque. They're they're kind of like a Yoast. Um, and yeah. to kind of, but still to pull him over and to have him uh, sit in that car, run LMP two, and do as well as he did was uh, I would say pretty commendable. Although. You could definitely make an argument there's like three or four of these guys who would get driver of the race. Yeah, I I think Delatraz's first stint really set up the race for them. You know, making that pass on Rusinov and getting away to that lead, that really comfortable lead, kind of let the pressure off. Uh, so I think Delatraz would probably be in with a shout um, for me. And then it's a, a, a kind of a toss-up between Lawrence Hoare and, uh, as you made mention, that unnamed uh, Ferrari, Ferrari pro, dri- pro driver, which we're not going to validate because it's unfair. Uh, but, yeah, they, they really just stole the shows. I, I'd probably give yeah. it to Lawrence Hoare for that f- yeah. for the first half of the race. Yeah, building up that huge lead um, you know, is impressive. And like you said, too, in, in this single Duquesne, sure, maybe that Duquesne suited the uh, the track a little bit better than the other Ligiers, but um, no, that's, that's, that's quite a momentous task to do that. Um, especially when you don't kind of, you know, quote unquote, have that support that uh, the other teams do just with the similar chassis too. So, um, yeah, I would say, yeah, if we were doing any category, it'd be Lawrence Hoare, but if we were looking at just LMP2, Deltras for sure. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Uh, some talk, talking points just to finish off the uh, chat about the ELMS. First off, uh, the LMP2 pace. So this is the fir- that was the first race run with the doubly adjusted LMP2 pace, the one where it's uh, extra weight and 50 horsepower down. And not, uh, we'll talk a bit more about this in the future, but not the Le Mans spec aero. That has changed, and we'll detail what's going on there in the second part of today's episode. But was it noticeable? Did you really notice that the lack of pace from LMP2? Were the changes, you know, enough for you to actually pick up with your eyes? 
I would say if I tried real hard, it would be noticeable. But just in, ca in, in just watching the race itself, um, not not incredibly so. Mm. Uh, I, I feel like there was probably some parts where I was I'm used to that seeing you know almost on the on the screen if you're at you know live or at, you know watching on TV, which I really watch on TV. Um, there's definitely some shots that are just standard shots for the track that I've seen. You know, in previous years, an LP2 go from point A to point B on the screen a little bit quicker. And I, I'm sure that, that was probably there's something in the back of my head that was that was remembering that. But for the most part, no, it, it didn't. It didn't really affect the pace. It didn't really affect in terms of the the show that it was put on. It didn't seem like that was the case. And two, I mean, just a slight soapbox. I mean, I, I that's what <laughs> I expected. I, I did oh, not here we expect go. This to be, I didn't. Yeah, I just didn't expect this to be that big of a deal. And the people that were really, really upset at well, all these changes that were happening because the the well, hopper cars are getting slowed down. Like, I just don't. I don't get the the angst. I don't yeah. get the, uh, the agitation. And I mean, some of the arguments that were made were like I, they were sort of sensible, but at the same time, like, do you like it's it's definitely potentially pushing on safety. And honestly, them slowing these things down just a little bit did not, it was not going to be that big of a deal unless it was just stuck in your head that these are now slower than cars that have previously raced in other years. Like, yeah. Which really then what, what are you watching for? So, you know, this is the wrong series to watch the fastest cars compete around this specific track or watch something else. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah. tend to agree, actually. I, I can certainly understand the, the viewpoint from the teams who have done oodles of testing. Like that, that yes. to have it changed last minute basically just throws that all the window, which is just money just being burnt on a freaking bonfire. But I could not have told you that they were slower than before. Like, correct. Yeah. To that extent, too, though, I mean, what were they expecting as well? If like everybody was going, okay, pace wise, they're going to need to slow the LMP2s down. And we were talking about this. This is like all, over six months ago. We were talking. About we were talking about this when the LMH class was first getting muted. Like we were talking about this back in 2018. So I like, I, and I, I do understand the argument that the call was made late, and that obviously for testing and obviously for getting some of these people, you know, some of the drivers up to speed and what to expect. That yes, they were expect they did not get this memo until late. That hey, we're making these changes. However. This was talked about, and I just don't. I think maybe they thought, okay, well, halfway through, or maybe ACL is going to pay for some of this stuff, or like I don't know what the what the contention was. Obviously, with the bodywork, that was kind of a left field yeah. thing for me. I was not expecting them to try to do a mandatory bodywork change, um, but that kind of, uh, to a certain extent, I, I I get it too. And then yeah, just some of the ripple effects after the round two for just okay, well, we're we're not going to continue that for safety reasons. Like some of the stuff that was cited was like, oh wow, I didn't think about it from a safety aspect, yeah. which would maybe lend to another discussion itself. But um, no, your overall point or question was whether or not I could tell pace difference. No, I couldn't really tell at all that there was a that they had nerfed the MLP twos, as the kids say. Yeah. Uh I 100% agree. Uh, next question. LMP2AM. Did we actually care? Did Did you think about the LMP2AM category throughout the race at all? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, it would have been a great story. I, I think, I, I, you know, and that, and that was the thing, too, that was going through my head was like, what, is there anything that could stand these out? I was thinking, too, between, like, Bathurst 12-hour, Spot 24. I don't know if, like, maybe they had, like, stupid lights or something like that that was like not and that was not going to blind drivers or anything like that but that would like indicate hey this is an am car yeah so normally car. in blank pain or well sorry 
SRO GT World Challenge, uh, they have different colored number lights. So they have the number panel in the front window. So it'll normally be white for the pro category and then blue for pro-am and red for am-am and black for whatever, whatever. Um, I know that, for example, in the Nürburgring, the top 20 qualifiers for the Nürburgring 24 have a flashing blue light. So it's kind of a warning to the slower cars that, hey, we're a fast car. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. <laughs> it's very hard to distinguish the AM, like an AM car from a, a non-AM car. Yeah, and so, and, and to that end, um, the people that know the differences between one car versus the other car, if they're, ba- they're both on the same track fighting for position, um, technically for overall position, they're going to definitely know, hey, you know, that's something to be said for that pro-am competing with this pro, um, you know, which is weird to say pro, like, because it's not supposed to be like it's that. It's not anyway. pro, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, where you have that distinction of, you know, uh, two different driver lineups that could denote an actual conversation or like, hey, applause to you, sir. That's a really good run. And I think, yeah, just something simple like that would at least keep reminding some of the viewers and people, um, you know, when they start showing up in the stands later on this year that, Hey, look, there's, while they're competing for the same space, real estate on the track, there's a, the, the background for these two different, um, driver lineups is something to note as well. And hmm. just so that we're paying more attention or are more, there's more of an impression placed in some of the pro-am category, uh, dri- sorry, entries that are finishing that high up. So like, the fifth place for ultimate is an actual talking point that should be made. Oh, absolutely. Um, however, I feel like it should, it should kind of be a lead up where a lot of the, the fans that are watching do that themselves instead of being reminded, Hey, look, Hey, this is a pro-am car guys. Remember they should be like, wow. Yeah, that was a, that was a great run. And did you see how high the pro-ams finished kind of deal? And I think, yeah, something like a light change or doing something where you're differentiating them, maybe like the top bowl, like above the windshield that, that has to be a specific color or something, or just again, do something. Again, really you just pulled that idea out of my head. That was literally just what I was about to suggest. <laughs> Get out of my head, Cookie. I'm not okay uh, with this. <laughs> I got to do. We'll see. Look, I'll have misfires with uh, completely misclassifying the um, the uh, the innovation car, and but then I'll also just do some mind melding and yeah. you never know what you're going to get with an early morning cookie. Uh, I'm not okay sure. with this. Uh, we should do, <laughs> we should do less of these. Anyway, uh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I 100% agree. Didn't think about it at all during the race. I only really caught it afterwards. And I was like, Hey, that ultimate car is pretty high up. Yeah. That making, making some way to signify that either through the graphics on screen, the broadcast graphics or the car itself, that needs to be looked at because really, otherwise it is just a, a waste adventure in my opinion. Yeah. And then, and then it would, we've had some of this stuff before too, where it's like, Oh, this is prom trophy. And people are like, ah, whatever it's prom trophy. But if they're, if they're impressing, if they're real time impressing you as you're watching the race, there's a, there's a lot more acceptability when it comes to, okay, well, here's a pro-am award ceremony, you know, mm. like they're, they're finishing, uh, here's a podium ceremony for pro-am. Oh, okay. Yeah. Those guys definitely earned it because they, you know, I know that car. I know where they were running uh, throughout the race because they were being shown on camera with these battles at the front of the field. Um, yeah, and just as another build off to your point, that was that was pretty much it. Because I, yeah, it was. I, I even know too that there was, and when we'd done this before, it was just like, well, why bother with these stuff? It's yeah. like you know, and it's just kind of like it's a servicing affair. So it's a it's a 
participation trophy for prom. It's like, well, I wouldn't really say what Ultimate did was a was a participation trophy, especially where with the rest of the field that they were absolutely competing absolutely. with tooth and nail. So absolutely. they definitely deserve that. Hundred percent. I one hundred percent agree with everything that you've said, and I think that pretty much wraps up the Elio Mess race. Like, I don't think there was anything else that you really say about it. <laughs> No, no. no. I, I, again, it was a great opening round. It I was, mean, was it the most spectacular round I've seen? No. But hey, it was as good as we could get, especially with having no fans in 2021. Yeah. I mean, I'll take it. Absolutely. It was steady. And looking at some of the races from some of the other series that I've been tracking, steady is good. Because <laughs> the last thing you want is a shit show. And there have yeah. certainly been some of those this year. Uh, already, yeah. Yeah. 100%. Uh... <laughs> On that note, I will just take a quick break in here. You're listening to Endurance Chat. We'll be back in a sec. If you're following plenty of motorsport series like I do, you've probably run into trouble with calendars, time zone conversions, and most importantly, missing the start of racing you want to watch. That's why I use the Racing Line app. The Racing Line is your customizable motorsport calendar giving you up-to-date schedules on all the racing you care about with all major motorsport series covered. Use the day or week view to check out what's on and plan for those busy weekends ahead. The Racing Line allows you to set customizable notifications for events, giving you enough time to get yourselves ready for the racing you want to watch, or for me, to get the race threads ready. Plus, it's all converted into your local time zone, so there's no getting caught out by bad mental maths or daylight saving changes around the world. Find out more at theracingline.app or search The Racing Line on the iOS store. Thank you to The Racing Line for sponsoring this podcast. And welcome back to Endurance Chat. Still got Austin here with me. Let's talk about the WEC, because we've got our first race this week, Cookie! Ah! Oh boy, here we go. First round. I'm ready. And the first time, I think, in my watching memory of a brand new top class. This is the first time I'm ever going to watch a race with a new top class. It's kind of scary. Yeah, I was thinking about that, and uh, you're absolutely right. Um, last technically, the last one we had was 2013. With technically, uh, yeah, yeah, 2012. Uh, was it 2012? I don't know. One of when I, whatever one that they were, um, they're going full hybrid. I guess yes. that would technically be it, but that would still be t- LMP1. No, this is this is brand new. Um, as much as people want to say that that uh, that year R O one O is not a brand new car, it is a brand new car, um, and. Although we've got an Alpine that's basically a rebellion um, in disguise, uh, LMP1, uh, Areca, it uh, it does feel like there's this new Uncharted, um, what the hell are they doing? Uh, I want my old stuff back, kind of thing. But yeah. this is uh, with a lot of welcome arms, honestly, because I would rather have this kind of stuff um, in the future, m- looking much brighter than the other other times where we've had low car counts to start off a uh, a new category, especially the uh, overall competing top spec the top step for the aco kind of classes and uh and championships so i will definitely take this even though it is light we'll say that it, it's light to start with and and let's uh let's talk a little bit about what's been going on with one of the competitors to start with so we were meant to have uh by the way as i mentioned at the top of the show we are recording this while the prologue is happening so we will duck into the prologue uh, as we go through this but we were meant to have at the prologue alongside the two toyota gazoo racings gr010s and the grandfathered uh alpine elf matt mutt 
a uh, Alpine A480, which is, as Cookie so aptly put it, a Rebellion R13 in disguise. We were to have two Glickenhaus SCG 007s, but... Uh, due to a variety of reasons, which I'm sure you can probably guess at home, along uh, being you know delays in development and homologation pressures and blah 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 blah, the clicks aren't here. Uh, there has been a pendulum swing of public opinion because of the delayed Glick in house uh, program. Cookie, what's your opinion? Um, first off, that uh, I think. We keep underscore or underestimating the aspect of social media and anything and uh, with everything when it comes to uh, expectations um, a year out, a month out, a day out, that kind of thing. So the feedback that you're going to get is very hyperbolic. I want to I want to say almost where you're just kind of there's just such extreme reactions to positive news and negative news and interpretations of how this news fits into global news of the specific thing that we're all talking about. So name and point LMH and LMDH, just the back and forth between how terrible one is and how great the other one is. And then literally within days, it completely swings the other way where that the thing that we were just praising is terrible. And the thing that we hated is amazing. So I I feel like if anything, the last three years or so has given us a lot of um, uh, tough skin when it comes to that. So honestly, you know, we've seen this a lot before, uh, even, you know, with the Janetta um, attempt, we'll just say that. Uh, so not saying that there's any equivalency to that, but, you know, I I think as race fans, we are used to, um, you know, these kind of efforts trying to get support, drum up support, and then not deliver. I think still Glickenhaus will be there at Le Mans. Um, and the thing to note for me is that this is a five-year homologation process. So, um, it's not like that, uh, where we have the, you know, Janetta needs a time crunch to get everything right and get it homologated, you know, for maybe a year or two and they can still work on stuff and that there's like this open book of, all right, well, they might, they just need to get on track kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas Glickenhaus and the way the LMH works is that you, you don't necessarily want to see them on track immediately, um, because that essentially means that they've locked in their design, they've locked in their strategy in terms of their aero strategy, that kind of thing. So, um, if any time that I've seen in the last like 20 years for the overall category for ACO, like LMP1, LMP900, um, LMP1H, LMH. This is the time where I would be okay with cars not immediately showing up when they're supposed to, because they're still, t- you know, working out not necessarily teething issues, but balance issues, pace it, you know, where they're trying to make this. So if they are going to get hamstrung and there is going to be BOP involved, that they have the most balanced neutral car that they can present for these next five years. And um, so, yeah, I think it's a blow just from a entertainment standpoint and and just from a David and Goliath standpoint, because I wouldn't call Alpine da- uh, David at all in this scenario. Um, who, who are you calling Alpine? Is, is, is Alpine, uh, what, Da Vinci or Caesar? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, he's the uh, yeah, he's the senator, he's, the local the... senator that has organized such an event uh, battle <laughs> or whatever between David and Goliath. But yeah, I um, no, he's, he's the promoter. <laughs> and as an American, it, it, it's it's a bummer because I yeah, it, it's been a long time since we have essentially like a Panos uh, American kind of team that showed up and and tried their best and and whatnot. And I do think that Glickenhaus is going to win a round. So just you guys, you could quote me on that somewhere. I don't care. Okay. I think Glickenhaus. Someone timestamp it. Bam! I've done it. I've said. It. Um. So yeah, it, it, it's a blow, but I don't think it's it's that big of one. 
and specifically with all the announcements coming for the other entries that are, you know, in the next two years, um, you know, it's, it's going to be something for us to be like, Oh, remember that time when there are only three LMHs were on the grid. So I, 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 I have more of that feel than yeah. anything else uh, at this time with Glickenhaus. But I do, I do think that it's, it's a little bit worrisome that they're not here, especially because it is like, it's delayed an extra month, mm. but I could tell that they're, they're aiming for their long 36 hour test some, sometime in May. And um, so missing the Portimao race is, is unfortunate too, but it seems like they're wanting to get a lot more of the endurance testing down so that they have a lot of this stuff um, figured out. So hopefully that that's not an issue with the ICE Yeah, um, is what they're talking about. But it sounds like in the next couple of weeks that they're supposed to be doing their long endurance 36 hour test or whatever that they said that they were going to be doing too. So yeah, I am trying to find that because I do remember seeing that exact quote somewhere from Jim Glick. And I, I think, Twitter. I think, uh, I saw it. pardon? I saw it on Twitter. Somebody uh, asked him, like, hey, when are we expecting that? Because it was just he posted something on the sub, and then I went to Twitter, and it was just a random question to the video or a photo of, like, the sisters or something like that with the chassis, and he's like, we're, we're aiming for, like, mid-May, second week of May, something like that. It was just a yeah. quick fire-off reply. So that's where I saw it, at least. Yeah, okay. So uh, I, I've seen in one of the, the Reddit threads that he's commented on, which has been in equal parts awesome to see him and also oh my god what is he doing uh it, it's uh he, he said that the endurance test would be mid-april so that's should should have happened now but you know we haven't seen any okay. news from it the thing that strikes me is the really sort of bipolar uh reactions to it it, it seems that you know we're getting to the size now as a, as a community where people can have diametrically opposed views and only express them when it's appropriate i was so surprised to see the sheer amount of backlash and i totally understand that you know endurance we don't want to be hurt again you know we've been promised the world with nissan and that fell to shit and we were promised the world with smp and that fell to shit and we were promised the world with janetta and that fell to shit and we just don't want to be hurt again but uh, something that i said uh and i'll reiterate it here is that a a a delayed car can still eventually be good you know, we haven't seen that car on track. We haven't really heard anything about it. We don't know its pace. We don't know any of the LMH's pace at the moment. Uh, so, you know, this delayed car, we have no basis for where its pace is going to sit. But if they rush that car, if they try to homologate it before they're absolutely ready for it, it is going to be a heaping, steaming pile of shit for five years. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to commit to a pile of shit for five years. <laughs> Oh, I mean, and to to that end, I mean, I, I know Graham was talking about it too, is that like the Toyotas, when this delay hit, I mean, the prologue got pushed and that's really the, when you get homologated, when you're, showing, when you're showing up for the prologue, like that's the homologation point and the GR010 was not homologated technically past where the original timestamp date for the prologue would have been. So they were using that extra month times to essentially continue working out kinks. If they wanted to change something, they had every right to do so. And they took advantage of that. And sure, um, you know, Glickenhaus is going beyond the extra time allotted that was given with this schedule change. But it's not like other competitors weren't already doing that anyway. Toyota didn't go, all right, well, we're already done. We're just going to homologate this car and wait another month and just test mm. it for its own homologation. They waited until literally this week to get their car homologated so and um, as an no, aside yeah. peugeot is waiting until next year to homologate their car and ferrari's mm. waiting till 2023 to homologate their car yeah 
and which and they said that they want to get a, they want to get their rolling chassis done in quarter one of next year, which is kind of crazy. Quarter one, quarter two, they want to have a rolling chassis. So they have literally, you know, almost a calendar year with Ferrari go by their own schedule to work out kinks and to figure out the ultimate pace of that car. Like that's pretty. That's pretty. Like crazy to me. Mm. I mean, and and again with your Peugeot comment too. I mean, this is. It, right. It, this is not normal when it comes to, okay, well, they need to step up to compete for this year. And I don't think they're going to win the WC championship. I'm going to take a guess. They're not going to win it by missing the first two rounds. But if this means that they have a much better car to handle BOP and handle the next five years as they basically try to run against all the Goliaths that are literally in the automotive world racing right now, um, more power to them. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm holding off the absolute hope that they are not going to fold like these other defunct teams that you've that you've said in the past. And I think that's probably where a lot of this vitriol is coming from. It's just that we have literally seen it a lot. Time and time <laughs> again, yeah. Yeah, we've seen it a lot happen. So it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely something that I think, and Jim's not the person to be like, oh, well, we understand your, you know, we understand your concerns. We understand your He's like, whatever, this is literally what I'm doing. So yeah. F off. And, and, like and like, we we know that he can build a car. We We have seen... At the Nürburgring, that he can build a car. That the SCG 003, that has taken pole at the Nürburgring 24 hours. And this isn't against you know some friggin' VLN scrubs in uh, BMW 3 Series. And by the way, if you do race a VLN, uh, a BMW 3 Series in uh, the VLN, that is awesome. I am super super on board with like everything that you're doing. You made the VLN the thing that it is. But like. He's competing against the absolute peak of GT3 in that country and in that competition. And he's gone and taken a pole position with that car. He's been up the front in, you know, the lead battles in that car. We know he can build a car. So this yep. isn't this isn't a fantasy world where, you know, someone's faxing in pictures of their assets to say that they've got enough money to run a team. This is this is the real deal. And I I think people could be a little more lenient. And like as a complete aside, I know it's 10 years ago, but Audi turned up at Sebring without their new car in 2011. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Like, like and delays happen, uh, you know, non-homologation events happen. And uh, I, uh, yeah, I think people just need to lay off the blowtorch a bit. <laughs> yeah, 20, 2012, they only had one hybrid of the R18s and they've raced two, R, you know, just diesel R18s uh, next to the hybrid at Sebring with, with a uh, opening round for WC as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is not, this is not new at all with, uh, with some of these teams. It's just that I think the scale and size of the team and also who leads it lends to a lot of, uh, potential backlash from yeah, fans that enough. are that are looking to like looking to be impressed or to kind of feel comforted by each of these teams, you know, backing up what they say with oh well we're we're going to do this thing okay well we gotta you know the the internal milestone is well you show up at the prologue so that you get tested and whatnot and a lot too of how people look at this is because wc used to do mandates for you got to be at prologue in order to, to show up i think that was a genetic thing too yeah where they they had to be there in order for them to compete at Le Mans. and so this whole standard of oh they're not, not the prologue therefore they're not at Le Mans. they're not doing anything they're done isn't which is not the case now but it's that kind of it's that standard that was set uh, you know, even a couple, two, three years ago, that is kind of coming up. I think to um, in fury, I guess, with this the Glickenhaus delays, we'll say. But yeah. I, I'm not really, I'm not really concerned too much at all with this. Yeah, neither am I. And I, I think 
the the reaction has not been merited uh, in my personal private personal opinion I've done a little bit of work to try and just sort of go like guys seriously um for a few for a few people who have been very sort of uh, reacting emotionally without engaging their brain first uh, and I think that's that's something that uh, having a very public social media presence uh has has invited yeah yeah it, it'll definitely lead to it i mean and that's and that's too just the last point too is just that you know we've had a lot of lmh for still dh vitriol i'll oh just my say God. i mean it's not it's not been positive and and i think that's the thing that i wish that there was more there's there was more authority taken upon with like aco and imsa to just kind of try to cultivate more of this like not standoffish aspect where it just seems like all of the fans are just trying to do like this team thing yeah. where everybody, if you're not on team LMDH, then you're the enemy or vice versa. And it's just, it's, it's, hang on, this is beginning to sound like American politics. I don't like this. Uh, it, <laughs> oh, I, hey, look, I don't, I don't know, but it just, it just the, it's, it's been, it's been a struggle sometimes just to yeah. be logging on and, and reading people's opinions, which I've enjoyed. And I think a lot of people do bring good points to this, but it's just been, it's exhausting. I mean, for the last like two years, it's been like this and we're still not even, you know, a we, year we out haven't even LMH. hit base camp. The, the right, cars are literally on track for the first time right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. And we're still getting comments of like, they're so heavy. Like I'm not going to watch anymore. You know, like, uh, you know, and the three minute, 25 uh, second lap time at Le Mans, it's like, <sighs> I mean, I, I please just watch him on track first before we start doing this. I'm, I, it's just there is there's so much more to be learned, mm. and before we get to Lamar in four months, that it's it's really going to be. I don't think it's going to be as bad as people are, are thinking it is, and and a lot of it is just so, like I said, hyperbolic. Where mm. we're just looking at a, a little you know, breadcrumb and imagining the whole loaf kind of deal, and how bad it's going to look. And it's like, yeah, but that's not. That's not it, guys. This is <laughs> this is literally what happens on a year-to-year basis back in LMP1 where we didn't know what, what these changes were going to bring, if they were going to be more uh, reliable or less reliable, or if they're going to be slower, faster, all that stuff. And we know what the targets are. We know what the, the goals are here. And I don't know. I mean, I think this is going to be pretty exciting just from a these are new cars, just to see the Toyota versus quote-unquote factory Alpine and um, what should be reliable versus brand new. Just even, you know, from a talking point of three cars, and let alone once we add Glicken House and just the 24 hours of the launch of this, like, this is one of the more exciting years of WC in the last, like, three years. Yeah. Easy for me, and, and even though there's a very limited car count for it. Like, and, well, care. it's not even limited. Like, we've got 35 cars at Spa. 35! That's bigger than, With like, three of the last four years. Who I'll also do another little thing. I would not be surprised if that Corvette does the full season of WC, I mean, if they're here, if, if they're yeah. here, they might as well, right? They've got a, they have a, like, literally a European hauler that with Labra, and they also have a bunch of WC stickers everywhere all over that, that uh, hauler, too. So that, that would strike me as why would they do that if they're only doing a couple rounds? Yeah. But who knows? Um, so that's what I'm saying. I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if somehow the ACO cooks them to stay the whole whole year, considering what potentially might happen next year. So yeah, cool. Okay, we'll, we'll move on from Glick and LMH because I I think we've talked to that uh, talked to that extent enough. Uh, let's just quickly touch on the LMP2 updates again, because there has been some changes since Barcelona. So, uh, one of the stipulations for the LMP2 class globally, uh, ahead of Barcelona was that they'd all run the 
uh, Le Mans spec bodywork for whether that be the Ligier or the, uh, the Orica or the Delara or whatever. Uh, so they'd all run the, uh, the Le Mans spec bodywork, which means that you'd end up with, uh, what, 50 cars running Le Mans spec bodywork and then 50 sets of non-Le Mans spec bodywork, which is just going to sit around. What has happened in the interim is that the Le Mans spec bodywork has com- been confirmed for the WEC cars only. And the ELMS and Asian Le Mans series cars can run their non-Le Mans spec bodywork. Uh, I think that is a good change from an economic standpoint. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Can't, can't argue with me there at all. And I think, too, just even the, um, you know, and again, they, they were citing safety. Some of the teams in the ELMS were citing safety concerns. I, I would just, I, I'm going to give them merit that that is correct, that yep. they're probably safety concerns with that. Um. But even if they didn't, I, you know, from an economic standpoint, it made sense just to nix that um, just from how how late to the to the game that was, um, you know. And just like we said, we knew the six months ago that that we, they were going to do slow cars down. The ACL knew this well before six months ago before they announced it. So, you know, it just seems it, it seemed odd. And that's where, you know, that's where I understand some of the some of the anger that some of the fans had towards this decision that was made so late in the you know in the 11th hour, so late in the game. Um, that it was just even from an economic standpoint, and we're still, you know, still dealing with this pandemic where, you know, we're not getting these stellar revenues for all of these teams to just have to automatically come up with this, this new bodywork that they, some of them don't, aren't planning on ever running. I mean, some of them aren't going to go unless they get those invites, which again, it's like, you know, some of these cars, not everybody's going to get an LMP2. So some of them definitely are not planning on it. They're going to hold on to this LM, you know, this low downforce bodywork you know, for a long time, if they, you know, weren't planning on using it now, all of a sudden it's a requirement for them. So I, yeah, from just an economic standpoint, I'm fine with that. And, but as well from a safety standpoint for the OMS too, considering there's a lot more AMs in that field. Yeah, absolutely. So I think great work. ACOs listened to the teams and done the right thing. Good on them. Let's talk about Spa. Let's talk about this week and this weekend because it is the first time that Spa Francorchamps, the six hours of Spa, hasn't been the curtain raiser for Le Mans in my WEC watching memory. I can't like so this has always been. It has always been, yeah. So this is going to be a very interesting uh, sort of lead into Le Mans. We've got the prologue at Spa as well. We've made mention of it. It's happening right now. You might have mentioned that. Uh, This is the first time that the prologue's been at Spa. It's normally either at Paul Ricard or at Monza. So a a different looking sort of track for the prologue. Uh, How do you think that will affect teams in their lead up to Le Mans? They will have... After this, after Spa, they'll have Portimao and Monza and then Le Mans in late August. Uh, is it going to affect teams too much? Um, I would say it's it's going to be it's going to be a change for the teams. Would you know? Are we going to see certain teams rise? You know, to the top for the you know for next for the first round Portimao because of this, or would it affect it? I don't, I don't know. This doesn't really to me give a good indication of how you would go about you know, setting a Portimao versus Spa. Like yeah. Spa to me is more low down force. It's more akin to Le Mans um, or even Monza per se. I, so, I, I, I still think that's a lie. I think it's a high down force track collected by, connected by straights, but you know, potato, tomato. Fair, fair, fair enough. Um, the amount of data though, that you can accrue mm. over the entire prologue is uh, for high speed corners um, might not be as much as you would potentially find other places. Um, again, where you're, and I think this is more or less in terms of like, you know, the Toyotas or, you know, if Glickenhaus showed up or just 
some new car to the cat oh, Cor Corvette uh, per se, where they're getting more data for the long straights that I think that they would need for, you know, setting themselves up for a, a decent Le Mans test day, which again is truncated and the week before Le Mans. So a lot of the stuff that you might be bringing uh, there or to data collect and test for, you're not going to be able to just immediately take that back and soak on it for, you know, a week or two before getting ready to go to Le Mans. You're going to have to immediately know, hey, this is good or no, this is bad. This is our next option. This is our plan B. So I think Spa gives them the ability to do that better than a Paul Ricard. Um, even with its long, long back straight. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really see that this affecting too many of the uh, the entries, just because a lot of the entries we've seen already. So um, yeah. that they're they're not new. They're not. We don't have a ton of newcomers into the uh, into the WC field this year as as much as uh, I've. I think I've seen in, in past years as well, especially the, with the uh, new MP2s. So. Yeah, and and the new the real new ones are the the new class, obviously, and teams that have raced in elms before and have probably raced at spa before so that it's it's not so new that it's brand new for for most of these teams not all some for some it is brand new and we'll talk a little bit about that now seeing as we'll catch up on the entry list but for most teams that's not brand new so we're going to go through the entry list uh in a little bit of depth not heaps of depth because if you uh checked out our podcast i think it was two episodes ago now where uh ollie and i talked through the 24 hours of le mans invites and we sort of went through the full season le mans entries in that uh as well so you can catch up on that one uh we'll just go through the the recent changes and anything that really jumps out at us uh across the field so you know we've got of course it's uh for this week the three lmh cars we'll talk a bit more about that when we talk about what's happening at the prologue, I, I really want to delve into the LMP2 field because 14 cars in LMP2, that is an awesome field. And we've got our like our absolute stalwarts in there. We've got United Autosports. We've got Yoda Sports returning. Racing Team Netherlander back. WRT are stepping in as well. Uh, Yoda Sports with two cars. ARC Bratislava are back for the first time in a while. Uh, Inter Europol are in the WEC for the first time in ages. Uh, you know, there's there's high class racing returning. Richard Mille stepping up. G Drive. There's a lot to get through here. Uh, what are you most excited about looking at that? Uh, ELM, uh, sorry, the WEC entry list, which I'm just about to link you now in case you don't have it in front of you. Oh, I've got it in front of me, man. You, uh, I, of course, you've got it in front of you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would definitely. Um, G Drive stands out to, and Team WRT, especially now, you know, having seen what they were able to do in the first round of LMS, I, you know, I, I think I was already of the opinion that they were going to be right up there at the top regardless. Um, and Team WRT did not disappoint with their first round of LMS by winning it. So to me, it would definitely be like, hey, a nod to that, at least for their setup and how that they are tailoring their cars to um, pro and ams that they bring in. That will be a car that even though I it's a fantastic lineup, you know, like it doesn't stand out to me as like the best lineup. Uh, G drive themselves have a very, very good lineup um, as would, I guess, to be expected. Um, and that uh, I would say Joda too uh, is a very, very uh, fun lineup for me to look at. Yeah. I, I just, I think, I think Joda would stand out to me if anything, otherwise it would just be the still stellar driver lineups that we keep finding in these LMP2 fields. Um, that feel way more like pro than AMs. Yes. Um, that's for damn sure. Yeah, so uh, just just to close off the loop there that you're talking through, WIT are racing with an entirely different lineup to their ELMS car. So instead of uh, having 
uh, Yiffe Ye and Robert Kubica and Louis Delatraz. They have Robin Freins, uh, Ferdinand Habsburg, which we saw in the uh, Asian Lawn series doing some very good work. And Charles Malesi. Now, you might not remember that name, Charles Malesi. Uh, he raced for Graf at the Le Mans 24 Hours last year. 19-year-old silver driver. I think it's an F4 graduate, a German and French F4 graduate. Uh, and he did a stellar job in that car. So I am very excited to see his work in the WIT car. The G-Drive cars you mentioned, uh, same as the LMS, Rusinov, Colopinto, Nick DeFries. Very, very scary. And Yodosport, uh, you would have seen this car at the Asian Le Mans series. Sean Galeo, who, when he wasn't spinning the car, was doing some incredibly good work uh, in that British Racing Green feet KFC machine, uh, alongside Stoffel Van Dorn and Tom Blomquist. Uh, do you reckon they're the three scariest lineups in that field? Yeah, yeah, that's that was what was standing out to me. Yeah. Um, w- definitely, that Joda has got some bangers in their uh, in their lineup. <laughs> for even for both cars, you can make an argument. Yeah, um, the the second car is what has been the uh, what the the former Dragon Speed car from last year, the Roberto Gonzalez, Antonio Felix da Costa, and Anthony Davison machine, or the second yeah. um, Joda car. Yeah, so really good lineup there as well. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, we get the pro am thing again, which I would I would uh, like to see WC do same thing that ELMS where we suggested there too, just d- making some differentiation between them because they are promoting it like they're two different classes, even though they are the same class and yeah. the same uh, machinery. But yeah, I, I just the, the the at least this first round, and I know for the full season that uh, there's a few of these that are just uh, I think spot entries only, I believe, unless that that's changed. Um, but that this is still like a fantastic 14 cars in LMP2. I, I think in, in no matter the driver lineups, I think it is going to be a very exciting race to watch. And then also particularly because of the very, very narrow pace difference um, that we're supposedly supposed to be seeing from the LMHs versus the LMP2s, um, depending on what happens with these three entries that we have in front of these 14, uh, 14 cars in LMP2, these could be overall podium and overall top step uh, battles that we're going to be seeing from LP2 as well. So it'll be interesting really to see how this shakes out for the first round. We will get to that. We will get to that. <laughs> Very interesting things are happening at the prologue at the moment. Uh, just a, a few quick uh, loops to close off. Uh, final updates to the entry list. Uh, John Falb in the second of the G-Drive cars, the Pro-Am car, because of course John Falb is a bronze, is being joined by Rui Andrada and Roberto Meri. Um, so that kind of closes the TBAs next to his name. I want to just quickly touch on the Dane train, the high-class racing number 20 machine. Uh, we saw during the week an announcement about their Le Mans lineup. Here's their just normal WEC lineup. Jan Magnussen alongside the duo that we come to know very well, Anders Fjordback and Dennis Anderson. But for Le Mans, they will be getting a brand new driver in the form of Kevin Magnussen uh, driving alongside his father. And I'm pretty sure it's Anders Fjordback uh, for a full-on effort. That is pretty cool. It is cool that uh, that the, the Danish sort of tradition at Lamarck lives on in, in this new class. Yeah, and I, I think, too, uh, a lot of this for... I mean, th- I, I think they'll be fighting... Uh, Definitely at the top step uh, for the WC calendar um, at Lamar, though that's going to be a crazy good lineup. Um, where I, it remains to be seen how Kevin will adapt, you know, from DPI to to LMP2. Although oh, I would say it's going to be pretty straightforward and simple. 
<laughs> he he performed very admirably at Daytona um, and was also very, very good at Sebring as well. Um, didn't like seem like he lost any amount of step or time, um, you know, jumping between machinery. So I don't think that should be a problem either way. But um, yeah, the addition of another Dane into that Dane train um, is great because Jan is a fantastic, fantastic driver. Um, and he will have to prove to me that he's lost a step because I don't think he, he's lost any. He's He's done this before too, way earlier in his career. He was a prolific prototype driver and well, shades of Alan McNish in terms of just his early, early stints pace, as well as just ballsy, ballsy overtakes and <laughs> just really, really uh, challenging drivers that were ahead of him to defend well, or else they would lose to him. So uh, I, I look forward to seeing what he can do uh, behind uh, high class racing's LMP2 Eureka. Yeah, I, I'm very excited to see high class racing in the LMP2 class. For everything you've said about Jan, and it's great to see Jan back behind the wheel of a serious contender. It's good to see that they've got that Danish uh, crew together. Remember, they were trying to get that together for last year's Le Mans, but it didn't quite go through. Uh, but yeah, high class racing and, and Jan and Kevin in the same car is going to be an absolute... It's just going to be a fun time. I'm keen to see it. Uh all the other usual names are in that LMP2 class. Richard Mill, as I made mention, step up. Uh, Juan Pablo Montoya in for a full season drive at Dragon Speed. Uh, racing Team Netherlands uh, has the usual spot, the suspects. Job van Oetert now in that car alongside Vandergaard and Fran Erd. Uh, Inter Europol. Yep. Now, this is an interesting driver lineup uh, for Inter Europol. Stepping up from the ELMS, uh, where they were formerly in Elysiae, now in an Orica. Uh, Jakob Smikowski joined by Renga van der Zander and Alex Brundle. Now, isn't that just a change in in expertise? Yeah, it, uh, it definitely switched a bit <laughs> from what Interpol was racing before the ELMS. Um, and yeah, that is... Renga, I would say, is... Uh, I would I don't want, I don't want to say like underappreciated but he certainly he slipped below the radar in a lot of people's he... uh levels I think like just because he hasn't had these he's had these drives that are just like beyond yeah. impressive um but then he's had bad luck or it's just been something where you're like okay well the the storylines go to somewhere else but yeah. really I mean we should be giving more credit to Renger and how he's been driving the last 2 years he's been unbelievable in IMSA at least for me Absolutely I reckon he's been the best dpi driver i don't think i will lose yeah. too many people in saying that uh, which yeah. is why it's been so surprising that he got dropped from the cadillac team or wayne taylor yeah when wayne taylor moved to acura yeah yeah and i think that they were they were chomping at more prolific stars in their cars which again is on, is almost a discredit to ranker because he's been he's he's made himself a star uh, yeah. you know yeah he's made himself a star and he's put his name on the map in terms of imsa and at least at least for this you know, watcher of IMSA racing, like, you know, whoever, and especially switching, uh, you know, switching essentially disciplines in terms of like how, or, or in just his, the team composition and just how he goes about every week, you know, it's, he's done a lot of changes through the DPI um, iteration too, and has really come out on top every single time. And it's that we haven't seen him kind of have these really bad off days where he's, you know, banging into things, you know, causing a bunch of trouble. It's It's been basically him putting his, his head down and, and really impressing. And so that's what I would, I'm looking forward to see the same thing. And mm. maybe this is the time now, now that he can go like, yep, this is like, I am this anchor that you're finding these cars where I'm driving in, finishing way higher on the, uh, 
on the running order than you would expect. And I'm, I'm expecting this now from him. I, th- I think this is where we finally start seeing some slight expectations and him potentially even exceeding those two here in WC. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. I want to see, I want to see the best from him. And I feel like we've still got that ahead of us. Uh, and I want to see Alex Brundle win, uh, yeah. LMP2 as well. Yeah. I think he's, uh, yeah, I, I want him to have some good warm fuzzies when he eventually takes over for Martin Brundle in the F1 commentary <laughs> booth. So you can be like, oh, hey, remember Lamar? This is a cool thing. Can you, can you imagine them commentating together? It's the same cadence. They, it's, they, it's, I, and it's the it's, same it's, voice. It's creepy. It's creepy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, I mean, sometimes you see that transfer over from like, you know, you know, son to father, that kind of thing. But like, that, it's, 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 it's uncanny. It's thing. It sounds like younger Martin, and it's it's not like I'm I'm trying to make it sound like that. It's like it straight up sounds like Martin, except thirty years younger. I it's 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 just uncanny. <laughs> On that note, we'll leave LMP2 there. Uh, GTE Pro, we've talked about quite a fair bit. The addition of Corvette Racing is pretty cool. Uh, Antonio Garcia and Oliver Gavin joining that team for the race this weekend. Let's just uh, close off the loops in GTM because I do want to talk about the prologue quickly before we close up. Uh, The Team Project One car, which had the question marks around it, they've been filled now. Next to Dennis Olsen is Anders Burkhart and Axel Jeffries. So Axel Jeffries, I think we saw at the Asian Le Mans series in the GP x car i think um but anders burkhart a another driver from norway so two norwegians in the same car that's a bit cozy <laughs> um i've not really heard too much about anders burkhart before so i don't really have any strong feelings about him being there but i'm sure our friend norwegian petrolhead has very strong feelings oh those norwegians always do <laughs> brilliant uh, some of the other cars that we've seen, by the way, if you haven't yet seen, I'm going to plug this now because I think it's worth looking at, um, Graham Goodwin's YouTube channel. It is just Graham Goodwin. He did a, a track, uh, like a paddock walk yesterday, just before the prologue and the new liveries is like across the field, but specifically in GTEM look like fire. They are so good. And it's going to be a very colorful and very cool looking grid. Yeah, that's that's also the thing that I was gonna say as well. Like, oh, sorry for stealing that. Up. Well, they no, that's fine. They've they've been extremely on point. Um, and even the uh, you can even tell from the overhead um, like prologue WC family shots and stuff like that they're doing that it's like lots of color and from all the spectrum. So thank God that people aren't aren't sticking with the uh, the mandated ACO uh, color, <laughs> color keeper FIA color scheme. So yeah, uh, yeah, even in the GTE field, which usually is also pretty close to the mandate as well finally seeing a little bit of yellow back with the uh in those gt cars so yeah they look they look very pretty so i'm very excited uh no real other big surprises in the gte class in uh the gtm class in terms of entry list nothing that we didn't cover off in our entry list podcast so you can have pardon me a listen back on that um, I think the only thing that is of note at the moment is the 88 Dempsey Proton has been filled finally as well. So you have now um, Andrew Harianto alongside Marco Seafried. Cool to see Seafried back in the WC and Alessio Piccarello. Uh, so that's filled that car finally. Um, otherwise, I'm pretty sure everything was very well noted. 13 cars in GTM as well. That's going to be an absolute dogfight. Can you remember the days, Cookie? Uh, maybe this speaks to a bit of the change in health of the WEC Pro categories, but remember when GTM was six cars and everyone kind of forgot about it and no one cared? 
Right, right. And there, and we were kind of, I think people were also, I don't know if people were making crazy comments in terms of like, oh, there's this is this is catering too much to factory efforts and whatnot. But, you know, like where it was, there really was nowhere to fill them. Um, that this was kind of like that GTM was kind of on the back foot because there was there was LMP1 and you had GT Pro and you had like, what, like 12, 13, 14 yeah. entries and then, for GT Pro. And then you only had like seven LMP2 cars and then the rest was like, ah, oh, we have four slots left, I think. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, and so it was kind of like, you know, this is this is the juxtaposition between <laughs> the lack of GT Pro. It just seems like, yeah, we're gonna have around 20, 20 entries for GT cars. We'll see where it goes from Pro entries. So yeah. I'm very, very pleased to see this level of uh, you know, and even uh, entries for GTM, and even um, with some of the. Uh, extra that did not make even for Le Mans. There's uh, a few extra GTEs that are trying to bang on the door to try to get in uh, to Le Mans as well. So I think just with the the health of the actual championship for WEC and for Le Mans itself, like we're seeing where GTE still has a presence to be felt uh, in endurance racing, even though it is going away um, stateside. Yeah, maybe, which is a bit of a shame, but we'll... I, I just I, I really hope that GT sticks around because it is cool and the GTM cars they the GTM teams have shown a lot of faith in the the WEC and in the ACO in investing in this and I hope they get rewarded I hope they get rewarded because it's uh, it has shown some great quality when they get the opportunity to take center stage mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so let's qu- talk briefly about the prologue so far we're about an, an hour into the second session of the day the first session uh, started off pretty cool but ended with three uh, well, sorry with three red flags through the sessions two pretty hefty shunts at Eau Rouge and Radion, uh both for TF Sport Aston Martins both at the same spot so Ben Keating uh, monstering the front of his blue Aston Martin the first time around then it was Satoshi Hoshino who followed him in there after the red flag uh, but interestingly uh, both drivers are okay by the way uh, and uh, I think the the triple seven Aston Martin was a little bit better off than Keating's example. But the very interesting thing for me is that the session was topped by LMP two cars. Yeah. uh, And uh, mightily. So, I mean, the top seven were all LMP two cars with the first hybrid car being the number eight Toyota Um, of note to the number seven just had installation laps. And that was it pretty much just a, a couple um, runs around the track and then immediately back in for box um, the, you know, at the end of that lap. So really didn't get a whole lot out of that. And that might be too, that it, this might be Toyota's first time running two of those cars in unison together. Um, Noted too, that they usually only do one for uh, testing and, or for the prologue where they're just doing one car out at a time. But um, still, that's just something to note that uh, usually when we're seeing these, especially for, you know, the prologues in the years past, obviously with Toyota bringing their own um, tried and true tested uh, chassis that this is the first time that we're really not seeing them, you know, trying to log as much laps and data as possible. They're really just making sure stuff works first. Um, but yeah, the, the the pace between the first Le Mans hypercar and the top leading LMP2 is basically two seconds after the first one, uh, first session, So, yeah. which is pretty crazy to me. I did not think it was going to be that much of a gap. And also Alpine... Uh, with their uh, grandfather LMP1 was 2.5 seconds. They were about, you know, seven tenths off of Toyota. So um, I kind of expected more or less to see Toyotas in this realm, but I didn't really expect to see 
the Alpine, uh, the R13, really, or the A480 uh, <laughs> hypercar uh, finish that far down, at least in the first session, too. Again, might be just insulation from them wanting to get more of a handling understanding of the car and its new restrictions um, and what kind of uh, balance change that, that does to the overall performance of the car. Um, so I, I hope to see the other sessions um, later today where we're seeing more of a pace from those cars. But yeah, very, very surprising that it wasn't like, okay, LMP2 did take overall, but it was Toyota right behind them. But Toyota were quite a bit of ways off of where um, I think their ultimate pace is, is going to be li- lying, but also where like that there was that many LMP2s that were in front of them too. Which is, yeah, that's they, they finished the session in eighth. Uh, yeah, and basically two seconds off the pace. Um, have you been keeping track of the times in this session while we've been doing this? I have not, no. So I've got the timing screen in front of me now. This is uh, two hours and 47 minutes remaining in the session. Does that sound right? Yes, it is. So this is a four-hour session late in the day. At the moment, well, I'll, I'll tell you the story first. We did have an LMH on top. We did have an LMH leading the field for a while, and it was the Toyota Gazoo Racing uh, GR010 number 8, um, with a 205.8 initially, that time has been eclipsed, and it has been by Team WRT in the LMP2 car. So, when you were talking about earlier, talking about LMP2 and the strength in LMP2, and, you know, whether or not we might be seeing these cars fight for overall podiums, we might be seeing these LMP2 cars fighting for overall wins. Now, I, I, I know that this is just the second session of the LMH cars in their current form, and they, it's, it's the first time they've been out on track. But they're mighty close. If, if, if yeah. they've still got pace to find, they better find it quick. Yeah, and that's... Um, and again, the, that Team WRT setting that 205.043 is not even the fastest lap so far the weekend, which is a week, which is 204.968 from the 22 Auto, United Autosports. And that was in uh, mm. the first morning session. So that's technically not the fastest lap so far recorded. That was, we, you know, LMP2s were ducking the 204s, um, you know, the high 204s. So really, they've got to find just even a little bit more pace just to beat them, um, you know, and that's considering Alpine and Toyota. Just from a, if we just talk about the class LMH, if they're not competing overall, <laughs> wait, we might have um, to. We might have to. That might be. We might be. <laughs> we might be in a situation wherein we have two competing top classes, and it's LMH versus LMP two. Right. I mean, and I mean, I, 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 like, okay. So we're joking about about this at the moment in terms of outright pace, but remember, you know, the, the LMP two cars will have AM drivers in these cars as well, so there will be a pace differential um, at some point. But still, this is this is mighty surprising, right? And that's where if you have any hiccups, you have any issues, um, something you know, you make contact on track. Like the the these pro teams, what we're well, I'll count for LMH or pro teams, they'll be able to bounce back a lot quicker. Um, but you the the margin for error here is is almost nil because you don't have the ability to really out outperform and you know use the pace advantage that you have in your in your um, class or chassis manufacturer to really uh, essentially build up some padding uh, in order to have some some issues um, whether that be just you know like I said teething issues from the new car for Toyota or just unlo- uh, bad luck circumstances on track or just human error issues where you know you have contact something like that so and again if we have a virtual safety car if we have something that doesn't go their way it could absolutely 
swing back in favor to LMP2s, and all they have to do is just ride the storm out, even if they're getting chased out by LMHs. The pace is so similar, as far as we can tell now from these first two sessions, that they could theoretically, yeah, just do almost what WRT did. And, and, you know, if they have a lead, they could at least keep that until the end of the race. And that is not out of the question, at least from what we're seeing from the pace now. Yeah, it's kind of terrifying to think that we could have quite literally a Le Mans 2017 all over again, but with an LMP2 winning. Yeah, and I'm, I hey, I would rather it be that than, you know, I don't know. I mean, it just kind of... Than 2016? For the class. Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> I, I had to, I couldn't, but, I couldn't uh, stop myself. Yeah. Interesting to note that uh, people who have been watching timing a bit more astutely than myself have noted that the LMP2 cars are much quicker in Sector 2, which at Spa-Francorchamps is the run from Lacombe, the entry to Lacombe, all the way through to Stavlo. So that, that's the, the twisty-turny section of the track uh, versus the, the longer straights uh, in sectors one and three, where you've got, you know, the run through Rouge and the Camel Straight in sector one, and then Kerbe-Paul Blanchemont, and the, the bus stop chicane in sector three. Do you think that's in part the the downforce limit coming to the fore? Is that something that we're going to... Uh, potentially see on the tighter twistier more aerodynamic focused tracks the lmp2 cars having a bit more of an advantage yes um and no i know that they uh now forgive me are is the lmp2 low drag body work going into effect for the prologue too uh for wc i i would assume so yeah because some of the pictures that i was looking at i i mean it looks like those are the low low drag, but on some of them it's hard to tell. So I'm not entirely sure, but I, that's what I think. So which is more surprising to me, even if that's the case, that they are running their low drag configurations and still being able to pull up those pretty pretty decent sector times for what I would consider to be high higher downforce areas of the track. Mm. So I, I wonder if it's maybe the the added weight too um, is affecting the LM, LMHs um, even with their. Um, you know, their I would say their higher aero efficiencies, um, even in the higher downforce uh, areas as well, just because of like weight shift or balance stuff. Yeah, but yeah, it, it that is surprising to hear that they are the LMP2s are gaining that time um, in sector two because that's usually where we see that higher downforce uh, play a lot more of a factor than um, you know in the first two, uh, the first sector or the third sector. So. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm almost kind of like a wait and see and and see kind of where everything lies from the initial days here in the prologue just to figure stuff out because yeah, that was not what I would assume. If you're going to tell me LMP2s are going to finish top of the timing sheets, I would have thought because of those you know long straights in sector one and three, that's where they're making their time. Um, but that is really surprising to see that they're uh, that they're kind of owning sector two. Yeah, it is. So I'm it, not sure. I am confused and a little intrigued by that as well, but that's what's been the, the report so far. Um, uh, otherwise, uh, there's been a few other little, pardon me, things that have been happening in the prologue uh, in sector two, uh, in session two at the moment. Uh, firstly, a, a big off, oh, sorry, a red flag for two simultaneous incidents. One was uh, Anders Burkhart going off into the gravel. That car hasn't returned to the track yet. That's the number 46 Team Project 1 machine. The other more significant issue was that uh, Sean Galeil in the Yoda Sport number 28 machine uh, hit the wall pretty hard at Eau Rouge. So that car is 
unlikely to take any further part in the day's running. We talked at length of Galeo's Let's say yo-yo season in the Asian Le Mans series has been incredibly quick, but also quite a a, a nightmare for his mechanics. Uh, and it seems yeah. like he hasn't quite got the handle on that car just yet. Yeah, and that's it, it's unfortunate too. Uh, it it seems like he's he drives very much on the limit, um, which is not a bad thing, um, mm. especially when you are you. It's a cutthroat uh, world out in uh, open wheel and the Formula One feeder series. You kind of almost have to make your name on doing that and, you know, really pushing the cars and, you know, making mistakes is part of the, part of the game. Um, but with endurance racing, it's a whole other, you know, set of wheels, uh, a whole different kettle just cause you're, you know, there's, there's, I don't want to say budgets is a thing, but I mean, the team's on tighter budgets and every little thing that goes through the weekend makes a difference. So if you have a clean, you know, free practice, all your free practice sessions are clean, your qualifying is clean. And maybe the pace isn't there, but you know the team itself gelling the drivers and all that it it prov- provokes more of uh potential pace and that you just you don't have these issues that come up, which absolutely can help you overall in the race you know a- as an x factor mm. and I feel like uh, too the you know it's it's a it's a definite brain switch between you know you are your almost biggest enemy in open wheel. Versus you're driving the environment, you're driving the track, you're driving the cars and drivers around you more so sometimes than you are just driving with your, you know, driving for your ultimate pace yourself. And, you know, even if you can put a little bit more on the table, it's about making sure that the team has all of their ducks in a row and they have their ultimate pace set. Um, And then that's up for you maybe throughout the race to work on and get better with that pace um, where you can kind of add to the mix instead of subtracting. And it just yeah. seems like Galeo hasn't figured that out yet, especially even with driving two different disciplines and don't get me wrong. That's gotta be, that's gotta be crazy tough. Um, but at the same time, he's being brought on as this kind of switch over this talent switch over from the open wheel sector into endurance racing. And he certainly has the pace to do so. Um, but it's, you know, a mentally, you know, there's a mental switch that you have to make too for these, for these categories. And a lot of it is, you know, with the team in mind, not necessarily with, with the individual your yeah. ultimate pace. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's kind of a, a similar discussion that we had when Alonso made the jump from Formula One to WEC, you know, how much, uh, of that focus on the individual is transferable into focusing on the team because it's certainly more of the team. And I think even in the age of the one series, he was, the individual in in that group. I mean, he drove three hours at uh, Abu Dhabi the second race around, and it was a mental mental stint. But he he pulled it off, and it was incredible. But I I, I think for a WEC effort, it, it does need to be a little, a little bit more concern in the team. Well, just before we finish off the show, Cookie, uh, we have Graham Goodwin, uh, of course, Mister Daily Sports Car, posing a question. In our discussion channel for the prologue, uh, he says, what scenario is currently happening at the top of timing? Is it A, all three hypercars have problems, uh, B, all three are trying to gain the balance of performance, or C, the balance of performance is broken? What, what do you reckon, Cookie? Well, uh, thanks for the question. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, I would say out the gate, B or C is more likely. Uh, B being probably more likely than C, but again just for how these BOP tables are going out based on what we've seen, you know, I guess from the data that uh, I would assume the FI collected, even from the Michelin testing for their tires, 
Um, and then in terms of probably what they got and gathered from Toyotas, if anything, I, it could definitely be BLP tables need to be adjusted, and we would definitely see that. However, I would not put it past like somebody like Toyota, especially with them only really running that number eight in both sessions so far, as, as far as I could tell, that they are really kind of... They could be doing a whole lot more in terms of running their cars a lot to try to get as much data yeah. as they can. They, there's a limiting factor for sure with Toyota where they're we're really only seeing data from one car. Yeah. Um, and then the Alpine, yeah, it's they've they definitely increased their pace, but however, yeah, I I mean that isn't a unproven car. You know, yeah. it's, it's only unproven with the new restrictions that they've placed on it. So that's tough. I would I would say, man, it's a toss between B or C. I would I don't think that there's problems with with Maybe there, there's a problem with the number seven, which is why they're not running it. But um, I'm thinking B or C. So I'm just, I'm just going to quickly, while while we're here, I'm just going to quickly go and have a look at the Rebellion R13's fastest lap from last year's uh, six hours of Spa, which, remember, they would have had some success ballast on as well. And that Rebellion was capable of lapping in the 1 minute 59 sort of bracket. So that's that's a significant drop off, and it seems to be all in sector two, and that's that's the thing at the moment. It's it's two seconds in sector two. So with that in mind, who wins in four days' time, or five days' time, or whenever? Remember, the race is a Saturday. Uh, um, I am. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the homeboy and uh, my fanboy. Toyota call on it. I'll say number eight just because they seem to have more testing done, but it could definitely be number seven. <laughs> I'm going to go number eight just because if Graham is, you know, if anything from what Graham's saying, if, if any of that is accurate or true, A would be difficult uh, to fix if it isn't, you know, there's just, they're, they're keeping it slower because they're worried about reliability. So that might be tough to overcome. Uh, B would be easy because they're gaming the BOP. Um, and C would be that that BOP is slightly off, so they're going to get adjusted for it. So they should be a little bit higher up the grid than the LMP2s, and they got pro lineups. So I would still have to give the nod to Toyota, but I mean, just from what we're seeing at the prologue, is a little bit I wouldn't say concerning, but it's 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 rubbing hands together <laughs> uh, sneakily or slyly kind of thing with when it comes to LMP2s. This is this might be a lot closer than I think I was thinking, and I already was thinking it was going to be close. Two-second pace difference between LMP2 and uh, Hypercar coming into it, at least the estimations, was going to be a lot closer than I think anybody is going to think about in their head because that's, you know, that that's almost just like... That's like almost better than by Cole's pace, you know, where you would see the in the first lap by Cole's would literally not would be a straightaway behind for the first lap. LMP twos are going to be pretty close to uh, to hypercars after one lap, so that's going to be strange to see after one ultimate lap at Spa to see them kind of coming out of the chicane as the hypercars are coming into turn one. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I would still say number eight. I'll go number two at a GR one zero. Cool. Um, I am going to say. The WRT number 31. Oh, God. Oh, God. Here we go. Yeah, this we is, go. We're, we're going straight off the deep end. There we go. Look, wow, I, you just disrespect to Alpine. Oh. I mean, yeah. Well, see, this is the thing. This is the thing. <laughs> Gigi said in one of his paddock notes that uh, the Alpine ran in 2021 spec against a 2020 spec P2 car, and it was consistently two to three seconds a lap slower. I can't remember off the top of my head what track this was at, but this is like... The Alpine is entirely hamstrung. The fact that it is currently leading the Toyota 
in class at the moment is a is it's actually a significant surprise to me. The 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 fact that while we're recording this, we're seeing the P two cars top the sessions. I can see the ACO's concern around the P2 class and while they continue to slow it down, or so, rather saw the need to slow it further at the LMS, ahead of the LMS race. So with that in mind, I'm just going to, you know, throw the throw the baby out with the bathwater and say that the number 31 is going to win. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? They, and, it, would be, and, uh, and like, it would be a great start to their season. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, yeah, you know, a debut victory in the LMS and a debut victory in WEC. Like, that would be, whoa, look at that. Um, yep, yep. Yeah, so that's, I, you know, if that comes off as correct, I'll be a god. If not, well, I shot for the moon and landed amongst the memes. Um, what about in GT? Where are we looking in GT? Uh, GT, um, as much as I would love to see Corvette uh, win in GT Pro, I'm going to lean with Porsche. I really like that. I'm like, I really like the number 17 lineup specifically just from what I think that they can ultimately put in pace. And from the first two, at least from the current running and then from uh, the first morning test session for the prologue, uh, they have been doing pretty, pretty darn well. Um, I think they led the number 17 led the prologue number uh, 17 this morning. Or, uh, sorry, not 92. I was looking at the actual uh, overall standing. Um, oh, okay yeah sorry about that uh <laughs> um, yeah they finished 17th overall uh yep in their first test session uh the number 92 team uh but yeah i think they are they're definitely one to watch and they're currently leading i think the current test session too so um i'm gonna go with number 92 the porsche for gte pro and for gtm Ooh, i'd like i almost want to go iron links but i don't i'm not going to do it uh do it i'm gonna go dempsey proton oh I'm well i mean yeah that's that's boring and correct but yeah i agree uh, yeah. yep yep i'm gonna go number 88 88 whoa yep yep because i because you just said boring and uh incorrect so instead <laughs> of going number 77 which is sensible i'm gonna go number 88 okay so you're just gonna throw the baby out with the bathwater as well yeah yeah exactly Fantastic. even though that's probably not yeah yeah it's either that or i go af course and both those are really boring so i was just gonna go yeah, I could go to the Aston Martin, but I didn't want to. So. Well, I mean, half the Aston Martins are in the wall at the moment, so you could go. You know, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I think, uh, yeah, it's hard to go past the Porsches at the moment. Uh, what, what's going on with the Ferraris? The Ferraris are still there or thereabouts. They're yeah, they're you know a whole two tenths away from the top of the Porsches. And keep in mind, this is just testing, so we don't know. We we actually don't know anything. We are just pulling numbers out of our asses here. Um, but of of the GTM runners specifically, I I'd go to say you're gonna say the '98 uh, Aston Martin, the Northwest Racing, and Dempsey Proton are the ones for me at this stage. And we shall see. Yeah come saturday remember it is saturday that the race is on and if you forget make sure you pick up your racing line app so that way you can set notifications to remind you that it is saturday um because the last thing you want is to turn up halfway through sunday and realize that the race was a day ago that's definitely never happened to me no sir no no sorry not anymore with the new app (laughs) uh yes thank you very much to the racing line for all their sponsorship work uh, for us, also around the sub today, we've got the uh, the 
discussion thread on the prologue. Hopefully, this podcast will be actually up for you to listen to while the second day of the prologue is running. That's what I'm going to endeavor to achieve. Uh, We will have qualifying thread, practice thread, and race thread. As per usual, jump into our Discord for all the live action um, also going on. Uh, M.W. Clarkson's Fantasy Endurance. Check that out. That's linked in the Mondays at the Mulsan thread at the moment. You can also go to mwclarkson.co.uk to jump in on that. Awesome competition. It's basically like a, a like a fantasy league, but for WEC, you get a certain budget. You got to pick a car in each class. A great way if you're just getting into the WEC to follow the separate classes because you'll be invested in each of the classes quite literally. Uh, and at the end of the year, the winner gets a prize. So, like, what more could you ask for? And it's free to enter as well. Um, so, get in on that. Uh, we're very happy with how that's gone in the past. Um, if you are planning on watching this weekend, make sure that you're either signed up to Eurosport or Velocity Discovery in the States or Motor Trend in the States or on the app. And uh, if you're not in the States, because I think that's still geoblocked, and make sure you get it sorted out early because the app is notorious for being a bit shit with uh, processing payments and all that. So if you're you listening right now who's planning on buying the app do it right now right at the end of this podcast so that way come saturday because remember it's saturday you can be there and watching the race and you'll be watching the race with all of us so i can't wait to have you with us austin thank you for joining me tonight i hope you enjoy your this morning (laughs) yeah thank you i hope you enjoy (laughs) your day at work immediately coming up Oh, hey, uh, it, this just uh, this makes the week go by a little bit quicker so we can get to that first round of WC uh, oh. Saturday. Oh my god, first round of the WEC! I am absolutely, I'm so excited I'm falling off my chair. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just want to also say thank you to Ollie for providing us with some numbers during the week and for Lada doing great work with our, uh, our graphics uh, and we'll touch a bit more on that maybe next time we're on Endurance Chat. We'll see, we'll see what happens. And finally, thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed. Hope you to see you all in the race threads this weekend. Until then, I've been Michael Zalavari. Thank you for joining us. Peace out. GR10 Gazoo. We're gonna do well this time and not finish behind L2. Oh, I gotta get in my my presenting. I gotta get in my presenting posture. Hang on, hang on a sec. Oh, just stretch it out. Oh, yeah, here we go. <coughs> oh, Jesus Christ! I don't know if you, you might have stretched too hard. <laughs>